Welcome one and all, I'm Chris Stone, the Virtual Agile Coach, and this is the Virtually Agile Podcast, the pod that shares conversations with Agile thought leaders, as well as amplifying newer voices. You'll hear about agility, virtual working, and everything in between. In today's episode, we'll hear from our non-neurotypical guest about her challenges and opportunities that ADHD brings her in the workplace. We talk about the hallmarks of a great leader and top tips for successful remote teams. If you find value in listening, don't forget to follow or subscribe on your platform of choice. It is the best way to hear about the latest episodes as they land. Enjoy the show. Okay. Fellow Agilists, welcome to another episode in Season 3 and the latest installments of the Virtually Agile podcast. Today's guest is a TikTok extraordinaire and a fellow Agile coach with experiences across a range of industries. She's a firm believer, just like myself, that diversity is a gift and loves to create great teams. I'm very pleased to welcome Becca Francis to the show. Hello. Thanks for having me. Anytime. Now, Becca, for anyone who isn't familiar with your work, tell us a little bit more about yourself. Okay, so um, I'm an Agile coach. I work for the University of Nottingham. Um, So I'm supporting a programme team there um, that's looking to uh, improve the way that they work. Um, My experiences, so before that, I worked for an energy company um, and I was working in both uh, kind of delivery and then in terms of ways of working in coaching teams um, and transforming how how teams work, really focusing them on value and on customer um, and changing that mindset. Um, Before that, I've worked in uh, mainly public sector in in the police um, and in business transformation teams within there. Wonderful. Great to hear. Now, the very most important, arguably the most important question that I will, I or anyone will ever ask you, I'm really eager to know the answer to this. What is the status of that backlog item, get a date with Craig David? <laughs> I think it needs to be binned. Yeah? <laughs> yeah. As much I as I wondering... like to prioritise that one. Yeah. I don't think I've got the skills to get there. <laughs> well, the question, the question to the community is, what can we do to unblock it for you? How can we help you progress there? Well, I think if anybody knows Craig David, I mean, you know, this has been 20 years on this backlog, to be honest. Yeah. Um, if anyone knows Craig David and can do a shout out, um, that would be awesome. I mean, he did sponsor me last year and I thought, oh, he's, he's seen that I'm doing something here and actually maybe a date's on the table, but it never came. <laughs> I once saw Craig David live at Power in the Park when I was about 10, I think, in Southampton many, many years ago. Uh, and for anyone unfamiliar, this is a bit of an in-joke now. Becca's done a number of these great videos sharing advice on how to simplify agile concepts on TikTok. And one of them was involving backlog creation. And I, I observed, and I'm sure others spotted it as well, there was a backlog item relating to getting a, a date with Craig David. Uh, so I'm not personally a TikTok user myself, but I believe people could find you if they want to do so at, at Agile ADHD Me. Is that right? That's right, yeah. Just thought I'd tease you there, in- introduce the, 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 just the casual funny side before we crack on with a bit more serious stuff. So um, as your, you know, your, I guess, handle for, for TikTok suggested ADHD, and actually one of the, the themes of this show is all about celebrating neurodiver- neurodiversity, whether that's cultural or demographically, racially, or just being non-neurotypical. And you yourself are very vocal about your challenges with ADHD, but importantly, 
the benefits and opportunities that it brings to your working life. So, Becca, tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, so um, ADHD is um, Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder. And if you even just think about that title, Attention Deficit Disorder, they are associated with negative things. Um, and I think, you know, in society, uh, we have, um, we, you know, we have carried that forward. So that's something that even now, um, in today's day and age, when more people are actually getting diagnosed with ADHD, it has a negative name and a neg it's a negative label. Um, so I'm ADHD, I'm 35 years old, and I was diagnosed with ADHD last year. Um, but I probably knew for a good three years or so, um, on the back of my son's diagnosis, that actually, well, probably it was probably longer than that, but for the last three years, I kind of knew that I was ADHD, but hadn't gone through a formal diagnosis process. Um, so I do believe actually it's my superpower, it's who, it's, it makes me me, but of course there are challenges, um, as, as the name kind of presents, with some of the things that we do day to day that maybe neurotypical people don't have. Um, but there's also great strengths within that. And that's where I like to try and educate and help people um, to, to turn it from kind of being a taboo subject and turn it from being a negative into actually how can we embrace this as a society and embrace people for who they are and the skills and the brains that they've got. Fantastic. I love the destigmatizing behind this. You know, my immediate... Mm -hmm. um, thoughts years ago in particular upon hearing that term was as you say it's this negative thing it's all someone's unable to do something they aren't as good as someone who perhaps is neurotypical and the, the reason in particular your story resonates with mine is because it mirrors a bit of a journey that i've been on i was diagnosed formally with depression last year and it's almost like my depression is a bit of my superpower sometimes i definitely see it as a positive because it enables me to do great things and I am very happy to share that and be vulnerable and admit that. So I, I, I love that you're doing the same for ADHD. The more we speak about this, these things, we destigmatize them and we can emphasize some of the, the positives, as you say, they can bring. So I, I am less aware about ADHD as I am about other topics. So could you tell us about some of the, the benefits you see someone with ADHD bringing to a team, the workplace and that sort of thing? Yep. So um, as I've said, kind of what ADHD is, there's there's types of that. So some people, so I'm combined type, so I have uh, the attention deficit and the hyperactivity side of it. Um, that doesn't mean that I bounce around jumping off the tables. I mean, I do when I get excited about stuff like Greg David. Um, but that, that hyperactivity, actually, you know, the way we associate that with um, in a society, what that means, actually for women as well with ADHD, hyperactivity is quite different. So it's not like, say, jumping off the tables. It's maybe, um, you know, being really, uh, you can work really well under pressure um, because we sometimes ADHD pay, people procrastinate. Um, and that's just because, you know, how our brains work is maybe we're not particularly interested in that thing. So actually, we're really good at working under pressure. Um, where I kind of talk about um, attention deficit, it isn't really a deficit, it's that our attention focuses on the things that we really enjoy or that we mm. really, um, really interest us. So what we have, we have great powers of hyper-focus, it's called, and actually in those hyper-focus moments, which can be when we're working under pressure, we can deliver some absolutely awesome things in timescales that a lot of people wouldn't be able to do. Um, but that 
also means so where this aligns really closely to kind of agile for me is having value and having purpose and they drive um you know an adhd person and if i can see the value in things i can commit to it i love it you know i'm really involved and actually i've struggled in jobs where i haven't had that value or purpose and that now i understand why you know because that's really important for me to keep my attention on things um in terms of the great things um, ADHD people typically have, and of course ADHD is very different in, in, in um, each individual, but we're really innovative. We come up with some fantastic ideas. We just think completely differently and we also like to see the bigger picture. So we can come up and create ideas or ways of doing things that other people haven't thought about. Um, like I say, we kind of work well under pressure. Um, I would say most people I know with ADHD have been really good at getting teams to come together, motivating those teams um, and driving, you know, having a real clear goal and wanting to drive against that. Fantastic. Well, thank you for thank you for sharing that. And uh, again, my mind was immediately going to that the purpose part of that. I think a, a lot of people thrive in environments where there are clear purposes, you know. Um, one of my favorite books is, is Drive by Dan Pink, Autonomy, Mastery, Purpose. I actually recently saw today there was uh, another study that um, Harvard Business Review had shared talking about the three C's. I think it was career, community and cause, you know, purpose, cause, similar similar stance there. So, yeah, sounds like someone with uh, non-neurotypical talents like yours could be of great benefit to the team, helping bring them together, be a bit of a gel for the team, motivate them, but also get that real hyper-focus on delivering great things, especially if they've got a, a clear purpose to be aligned behind. Yeah, and I think as well, um, to, so for kind of some ADHD people, we're great at solving problems. Um, we, like for me, for example, I like to do, I think, again, sort of some of the frameworks that you use in, in Agile, so think about um, Scrum, for example, where you're doing things in short iterations. Actually, that really works for me because I'm, you know, we're doing breaking things down and we've got some clear goals and we're jumping on behind that. But also, um, one thing I love to do is kind of come in, work with teams, get them working, you know, self-organising, empower them, and then step away. And part of that, not it's not boredom, but you know, my attempt, I'm great at jumping in and dealing with that. And then I want to go on to the next problem. If someone came along to me and said, Becky, you're going to be working on this project to deliver this one thing for two years, I would run out of the building. Um, I would get bored. I love those challenges. I love jumping in and thinking, how do we solve this? So I think that's generally a really positive ADHD skill as well. Mm. Uh, definitely that part resonates very much with me. You know, my, my depression manifests manifest as emotional numbness. And for me, I'm always chasing something exciting, something great to do. I thrive on solving that next problem, that next challenge. And I've always, you know, one of my values as the virtual agile coach is to make myself redundant. So the, the very idea of stepping in, helping a team be their best selves and then removing myself from the equation is exactly what I aspire towards because then I can go on and do the, the work with the next team or the next organization, help with their problems. And that excites me, that challenge, that problem, that newness, variety. I even remember taking one of those, uh, one of those tests years and years ago, uh, just before I started, I think it was probably part of one of the graduate scheme uh, application processes I was being put through. And it was one of those things, what motivates you about a job? And one of the highest things on there was variety. And this is one of the things I love about Agile, brings variety, brings new problems, new yeah. people, new, new situations all the time, new work, love it.
So yeah, me too. <laughs> I know you were keen to talk about leadership, and it's a theme that I'm very fond of, and actually comes up fairly regularly on the show. Uh, I was speaking with Sath Singh uh, recently about social leadership. So, Becca, what to you are the hallmarks of a great leader? Um, somebody who is open and honest and transparent with their teams and listens to their teams. Um, somebody who has empathy um, and involves their teams in, you know, the decisions they need to make to bring them on that journey as well. So empowering them, um, supporting them and coaching them through their journey as well to create great leaders in, in those people. Um, and putting those people first. I think if you're a leader who puts people first, you will always get great outcomes from your team. And I've worked with some teams where we have had some really hard, difficult stuff we're working on. And, oh, what's that? <laughs> so I'm just, for, for anyone who's just listening and not, and not seeing here, I have an emblem, a badge, and I, I lead a team, a transformation-esque team. I don't like to use the term transformation anymore. It's more an evolutionary team. A team that's focused on being people first. That's our motto, our hashtag. And we have a baby Groot as our, because Groot protects everyone, right? So I've even got a little baby Groot here. Um, so when you're saying about being people first, I describe myself as a people-focused agile coach, someone who is uh, just trying to systemically create an environment where people can be their best selves on their best day and be supported on their worst day, to remove all of those annoying things that stop them from being great, you know, to get in their path. Uh, and you know, some of the things you're saying here about you know listening, take it to the team. One of the first things I, I always do is just, what does the team think? Right. You know, and it, and it, mm -hmm. you know, there, there are various stances you can take depending on the maturity of the team. Some teams do need to be guided because they don't know what good looks like, and that's okay. Some teams might just need a little bit more hand-holding. That's fine. Some teams just might need a little couple of tweaks because they're already far along their path, and they might just want to be exposed to new ways of experimentation. But yeah, taking it to the team is always one of my first stances. Listen to them and, uh, and take action. Don't just don't just pay lip service to it. Take action based upon it. Yeah, I so, I um I think that's where it's at. And when I look at some of the great leaders that I've had, they have been really people focused, and that's the been a huge difference. And I think sometimes you get these organisations that say they are, or leaders that think they are, um, and but actually their actions, you know, by their actions, they're not demonstrating that. And I will happily, you know, when I've led teams, I'll happily stand up and say, I don't know what the answer is to this, you know, and be completely open and vulnerable. I don't know. You guys are the experts. So let's work together on this. And, you know, and I can and, and I love to develop people and, you know, take get them. They've got the idea. They, they've come up with that idea. Showcase that as they've come up with this idea, not a leader that takes, you know, takes it, puts their name on it and, and takes it as theirs. I like to take that team and mature that team and empower that team so they can see and have faith in themselves that which i firmly believe everybody does have the great skills it's just how you help people unlock them and i think that's what makes a great leader as well i think there's a huge power in the ability to admit that you don't know the answers it can be very easy for someone in a leadership position to feel the pressure to to suggest they know the answers or to, to wing it or, I don't know, copy and paste the latest article or attempt or approach they've seen and profess that it will work and solve all the problems. But just admitting that, hey, 
I don't know the answers, but do you know what? Together, we'll work together. We'll get there and we'll just continuously experiment until we discover what that answer is. And this is to me one of the, the core amazing things I believe Agile brings is that that environment, that mindset of just continuous experimentation until we discover what works. And that's why I'm agile mm. agnostic. It's why I don't subscribe to any particular framework as gospel. It's why I would I would happily help a company uh, combine in some sort of weird Frankenstein hybrid of many frameworks all together, just as experiments until they discover the one that works for them, rather than just going, hey, we're going to grab Spotify and you're going to do Spotify now because we're tribes and models and squads and blah, 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 or we're safe now, so everyone jump onto a release train. I would rather help them discover what works for them. And that could be, as you said, a hybrid of many things. It could be actually waterfalls great for them because of their situation mm -hmm. requires it or helps it. And that's okay as well. Waterfall isn't a dirty word. It's just perhaps not as fashionable and, and maybe not as uh, adaptive as, as agile can be. And it doesn't work in as well in environments where there's lots of moving parts and lots of, lots of frequent change which as we know in this modern world, there is lots and lots of change, so. <laughs> one thing that um, I'm, I'm kind of similar in that aspect, and one thing I do find a lot of is um, some, you know, some people that come along and say, and I've had this in my experience, what, what, frame, what framework are you going to implement? I'm not going to go and implement that. I'm going to work the teams to work out the mm. best way. And, you know, I can bring my expertise and I can help them see that. And exactly what you said, you know, it might be a blend of those two things. And as long as we are aligning to those agile values and principles, we design what works for those people and what's going to make their lives better, what's going to be able to get them to deliver to, to the customer in the way they need. And um, I think, you know, some you'll get some people that, come in and want to implement a framework and this is how you do things and actually that isn't what agile is about um and coming and dictating to people this is how we're going to do things well agile is totally the opposite to that of you know that dictating um so i that's exactly what i like to do i like to work with the teams find out the issues prioritize what those how we overcome those and build what works for them and like I say, it could be their own complete, completely their own framework and taking bits out of other stuff that we know works well. And do you know why I believe in this so much nowadays, Becca? Because I've learned, I've made that mistake. I've, I've been that person, that agile coach that's gone into a company and said, hey, do you know what works? Safe works. We're going to go with safe because I've seen it done before and it's sexy and new. And, and do you know what? It will fit you. So I'm going to put it in there. And I've been that consultant person and I've learned from it that it just, it doesn't work mm. that way. For me, if you go in with that, that just dictatorship style uh, and you force a framework onto a situation before you've understood the situation, and most importantly, the people who are the most important variable in this, this game of agile we're playing here, then there's resistance and it, and it won't work. So this is why I come back to listening listen first like when i'm starting anything new i'm not trying to change anything right away i just want to understand the situation the context the people the scenario the outcomes we're seeking here and then we can start working on what might fit with that and that where it's where it comes to experimentation and and that could be six months down the line we're saying well we've tried a little bit of that now it's not working for us let's move away from that and move towards this i honestly say and i say it all the time if any of those frameworks out there were truly being agile about things, they would include something on their own implementation roadmap in there that says, do you know what, are we for you? Should you try something else? 
because unfortunately I don't really see that. It's always always you're going to fast forward with this and you need to train more of this. And yeah, it's just, just what I see. Don't like to complain too much about it, but it's not the type of coach that I want to be. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, we've all had at least, well, over a year and a half of practice now with, with remote working, with, with working when we aren't face-to-face, where we're not crowded around a whiteboard, which I know one of your favorite homes to be. You're, I think if you describe it as your, the place you are your best self, and I've seen a little bit of evidence of you breaking things down into backlogs. What top tips would you share with anyone listening today to enable success for teams that are working remotely? Um, don't make it all about work. Um, we have this, uh, you know, this focus that actually we've got to deliver, we've got to deliver. And every, everyone is on a laptop, on virtual meetings back to back sometimes and going from one thing to another and sometimes people haven't even taken a break. Um, and not only are you getting that fatigue from looking at the screen, and I'm finding this quite hard now, you know, a year and a half in, in um, not only are you getting that fatigue, you're not getting the best out of your people. You know, if you're not having a little bit of fun or just the the kind of chat that you would in the corridor, um, I think that can really damage the team. So I'd say don't make it all about work. It's perfectly okay to just get together and actually how are you feeling today? What's been going on in your life? And one of the things that um, when I worked at the previous company I was at was actually can we make this meeting where you can go out and walk the dog at the same time? Do we need to be on video? Maybe we'll come on and say hi, and then we'll go and we'll have a walk around the block and we'll just chat about what's going on for us. And, you know, and I think that was really important um, is giving people the permission to feel they can do that and introducing, you know, we all know how great fitness is and fresh air is for our mental health and, and our productivity. And let's, let's actually, um, you know, put that into action. What can we do differently as a team? So I'd say don't make it all about work would be my top tip um, and, and have some fun with stuff. Um, I think, you know, I've come into this world I'm in now completely remotely and some of the stuff I was doing my last company, I was working teams I've never met face to face. And I think, you know, it is quite difficult coming into a totally new company. You, you know, you're not having no, you're not picking up those conversations in the office. You're not just going off for a coffee and finding out a little bit about this person and how that works. Um, that That's a real challenge. And that's something personally that I, I probably have struggled with a little bit. Um, so I think it's kind of, again, you know, where can you kind of, what sessions can you have where you're getting also to know people if you're, if you're coming into a, into a new team? Um, and and giving people space to offer their ideas so can you run workshops where you have silent writing because one thing i do find is it's sometimes all the same people that talk and and people or people are there like not wanting to talk over each other and actually can we do some workshops where it's silent writing everyone can, can commit ideas or can we run lean coffee table where people are populating their own agenda um I think that kind of that helps as well. So you're you're still getting people's input, um, which you might naturally get if you're sat at a desk together. Wonderful. So one some of the some of the techniques that you've you've just alluded to there are some of my favourites for remote working. So any any retro template I've created in the past, well, six months at least, every one of them has some sort of just fun random icebreaker. That could be you know, build a picture of Shrek out of post-it notes. It could be describe the worst pizza topping in the world that you can ever think of. 
it could be anything just just random stuff that just get people talking about non-work things right and then silent silent um silent observation or silent writing really powerful technique as well helps to avoid those dominance hierarchies which you which you again you alluded to those those people that are most vocal and we don't want to stop those people being vocal vocal they're, they're doing great work too but we do want to enable the quieter voices to speak out and when i'm facilitating a retro the way i tend to do it is i'll introduce a prompt and that might be you know thinking of the the queen themed retro it might be we will rock you you know what what we do who's doing great work what kudos do we want to celebrate or what are we going to smash in the next iteration right you introduce that and then just first three to five minutes just people can just note things down individually without speaking and then they can dot vote together and prioritize with micro freddie mercury heads rather than <laughs> rather than just dots because that's boring and then the discussion comes as to how we can develop an action item that will, that will result in improvements and change. So some of those techniques you've alluded to there, absolutely things that I build into every, pretty much every workshop that I, I, I run. So great techniques. The other ones as well, big fan of getting out uh, for a walk. I, I have got, I think, 13K steps a day on average for the past year, something I've, I've got a streak going for. And I do that because I build time in to get out and walk. And one of the ways I do that is I created a Slack channel just saying hashtag walk with me. And I invite mm -hmm. random people to come out for a walk with me rather than being chained to their desks. And I just I make it a challenge to speak to someone new every week. Another great way of just getting people away from their desks and making time for their health, because you don't need every every session to be one where we're, we're on a screen. I'm someone who also doesn't advocate. Yeah. Everyone has to be on screen. I know that this is a bit of a debate. I've, I've, I've spoken to people who say, well, you, if you were in an office, you'd be, you'd be seeing people anyway. So it's almost rude not to be on screen. I was like, argue, I'd argue, well, there's lots of reasons why someone might not be and want to be on screen. It can be just more tiring to look at yourself in particular for hours on end. You know, you're constantly looking at a computer screen. There's lots of reasons why someone might not want to be on screen and, and that's okay. And if they prefer to do so, that's great. I would argue that uh, a team or a company that has a very high level of psychological safety will probably have people that are on camera more than those that aren't and there's probably something you can do to try and improve that if that's an environment you want to create but uh yeah i'm a big fan of some of the advice and things you've been sharing there so great tips great tips there was somebody uh, from my last role who did a, a really good linkedin post about this whole camera thing because i am a fan of camera on but obviously there's some days when i'll be honest i've had a really not really bad day maybe something's going on personal at home and i haven't felt like putting my camera on that day because I, you know it might, it might have been something quite uh, you know bad at home and, and i'm not really feeling with it and um you know and i know like you know you're probably going to the office you might go into the office but actually on that occasion would i have gone into the, would i have gone into the office i'm not sure and this lady was writing a LinkedIn post saying, you know, put, forcing people to put cameras on. Actually, she suffered previously with body dysmorphia. And for her mental health to put a camera on, see herself in the bottom screen, she really, really struggled with that. And I was like, wow, that is, an, that is again, something that's underlying. It's not an obvious thing, you know, that you know somebody has got. Um, it all comes back to mental health. And I hadn't considered that. And I thought that was great to see somebody else's, you know, perspective. Um, one thing that when I came into this world I'm in now, there, there was a culture of mainly cameras off. And uh, we, we're getting through that now. And, we, you know, we're starting to build that team where we'll have cameras on. And uh, I, think, I think you're right in terms of that psychological safe, safety. If you've got all the cameras off, that speaks volumes to me as well. 
And by the way, I love your retros. They're awesome. (laughs) (laughs) One of my favourite things to do is create those things. Uh, just it's, it's actually something I found that's helped my own mental health it's just a creative outlet for me to, to do something with my my energy and just it's just the stories that I get back that keeps me doing them and I, I saw a similar I think what you were alluding to there about some of the I guess the flip sides of this this remote working thing there's there's a, a remote working expert that I'm connected to on LinkedIn called Laurel Farah and she mentions that you know, there's been thousands and thousands of surveys out there, interviews, focus groups about the whole remote working thing. And she was confident she's had every complaint possible about the some of the, the challenges of, of unexpectedly having to be a distributed team. And some of the things some of the things are like, OK, you feel isolated, but arguably weren't mm-hmm. people feeling lonely in a crowded conference room or so. Yeah, you've got the fact that dogs barking in the background in calls, but weren't, weren't people sneezing and coughing next to your shared desks and things? Yeah, it can be awkward to be on camera, but wasn't it also vulnerable to be watched and judged and supervised in personal day? You know, we're sedentary in home offices, but were we really prioritizing our health and wellness in the office? So there's lots of kind of flip sides. There's always a, a counter argument to some of the those that are very mm-hmm. vocal about why you should be in an office. I personally don't believe you need to be in an office to be successful. Uh, and I'm, I'm of the view that I, I'm happy to go into an office to, you know, to connect with people better and to, to meet people. But I don't think it needs to be a X days per week sort of equation. And the last year and a half has proven that on a global scale, lots of companies thriving. It's not, the problem is I think there is, it's a very nuanced problem and the kind of one size fits all approach that a lot of companies are trying to take doesn't necessarily work. So you have people who are their most productive selves when they're working from home because they can just focus and they can get on with things and they don't have to commute and they're less stressed and, and that works for them. And you've got some people who perhaps don't have a nice home office set up and they're working and living in the same room and in shared housing. And, and to them, the idea of going into the office helps them focus. Mm-hmm. And you could have someone who likes the blend of the both, and that's okay. But the problem is those standardized policies that says, right, everyone's in four, three, X days a week, regardless of who you are, what role you do, and otherwise, I don't think quite meets the challenges of what is a, a very nuanced problem. And I think I one of my favorite... No, go ahead. I was going to say, I completely agree. And I think we've had some interesting conversations over the last few months as it's kind of just, you know, as we return or we go back to normal, what's it look like? And some people have said, you know, actually, by you telling me that I need to be in the office two days a week, what's the point if I'm going to go into the office and then just sit there and not, and then the rest of the team aren't there on those days? Or actually, you know, I'm coming in with, I'm in a matrix manage uh, model, you know, I'm coming in with this team, but I'm working with this product team over here. Like, actually, that's not adding value to me. That's causing me more challenges because now I need to readjust again and, you know, where people have readjusted over the last year and a half. And it's been really interesting to hear those different perspectives. And you're right, there is no one size fits all. One thing that when you were talking about, like, remote working and some of the tips and stuff that I have really missed is that whiteboard and those post-it notes. And literally today I was doing a workshop and I picked up a, the whiteboard pen and I was like, oh, this excites me. And they, you know, through Miro, it's a great tool, or Mural, all of those things that you've got. For me, that uh, one of the one of my struggles with ADHD is I can talk about a problem, I can draw it out on a whiteboard, 
Um, but if somebody asks me to put that into a PowerPoint, I can sit there literally for hours and really struggle. Now I've recognised that and I try and get people to help me. You know, you're great at PowerPoint score, you're great at this part. Can you help me? Um, and I have that is one area that I've probably really missed is that whiteboard I so much that I invested in one last year and was like I've got to have this um but I don't think and for me I've not found a a, a virtual board that really replicates that sticking those post-its on and feeling them um and being able to draw on it as well there's definitely a a tangible, obviously it's, it's tangible, so it feels more real. The the act of tearing off a post-it note and writing something on it and putting it on there, uh, I, I, I can very much appreciate that for some that is, that that's very helpful for them. Uh, I, I'm, I'm almost the opposite, right? For me, my my preparation time for, for meetings has gone down so much by virtue of the fact that I've got these virtual whiteboards and I can, my starting point for running a workshop is what's already out there. Okay, there's this on the Miroverse or this someone shared with me. I'll start with that and I'll adjust it for my needs. And then when I've created something, it's a template that everyone can access with a few clicks of a button. Like some of the retros I used to have to do is like, right, you, you, or, or agile games even. You required like X pieces of po- paper and, and all these post-it notes and X number of boards and some string and sp- spaghetti and, and, mush- and marshmallows and all sorts of things. And I've discovered, right, I, that I can do a lot of these things virtually with just a, a whiteboard. Uh, so some of my prep time has gone down, but my, also my ability to network and share has gone through the roof. You know, some, some of the mm. uh, savings that I've made in terms of just time investment commuting, I've invested networking, joining meetups in other countries, meeting people I would never have spoken to because I just didn't have time. And that's broadened my horizons so much. Yeah, I love those uh, meetup events and where I've been someone, it's like, wow, like I'm meeting people from completely across the waters, but actually we're also talking about, we're having the same challenges. And and that, like you say, I would never have done that before. You know, I went to meetups that were locally and in person, but the the thought of jumping on and and meeting someone from across the globe wasn't even in my head. Um, And it it has exposed me, you know, I was chatting to a lady in America the other week and, and it was just really nice to see, Although we're very different, we know we're in different places, different time zones, different experience. We're having similar problems or challenges, you know, and got similar experience. We can share and work together and, um, you know, and collaborate on doing, you know, how do we do this? How do we help each other out? I still miss the post-it notes on the whiteboard. (laughs) (laughs) To each each their own. Again, I've got, I've still got post-it notes sat here on my desk that I, I just play with every now and then. They're, they're there, they're, they're there for me, it's okay. I'm not gonna lose them. But virtual ones, they're just, they're a lot easier. Personally, anyway. Uh, okay, so it's retrospective time. Uh, I ask every guest on the show to just add a new retrospective theme to my backlog. We've had all sorts, we've had Taco Tuesday, uh, Pia Torin and Aino Koi recently challenged me to a gardening gardening themed one. I'm in the middle of creating one on the, the board game Jumanji that's it's going to actually have like moving pieces and gameplay and things like that and i'm also creating one about peru just anything the world is your oyster go for it what would you have me create a, a retro about seeing as i absolutely love craig david but probably not everyone knows who he is 90s music 90s music okay i can get more with that 90s and noughties music what i'm gonna do is I'm going to do a lot of research 
by going to Pop World. For anyone unfamiliar with Pop World in the UK, it's like a, a 90s cheesy nightclub. I'm going to take myself off to Pop World and I'm just going to have a little dance, have a little rave, and I'm going to note down some song tracks and I'm going to go, yes, that's a re- that's something. So, all right, great theme, great theme. And you've given me some opportunity to do some, some recon like it. <laughs> Final question now. And it's, it's been pointed out that it sounds a little bit like Jerry Springer's final moments, but just any thoughts you'd like to leave with our listeners, Becca? Um, I just want to say thank you for having me today. And it would be great to connect with other people as well. Um, like you've said, expanding that network. Um, I think one message from me today is um, where we touched on ADHD is actually what more could you um, learn about ADHD, about neurodiversity and about the strengths that, you know, those that people maybe with autism, things like that can bring to your team? What can you learn yourself about educating yourself on those um, not so visible, you know, disabilities and challenges people have? Um, and I'd love to see more people to more people to do that and more people to break down those uh, those stigmas that we've got. Wonderful. And just, I guess, just being... Uh, an ally. I often create retros that are based on the, these diversity and inclusion themes. So whether it's a retro focused on Diwali to, to, to introduce you know, non-Westernized retros to the world, whether it's one about pride or how, how we can be more allies to those with pride. How can, we, how can we structure our meetings in ways that are more supportive of non-neurotypical people? Could be a very simple question you might want to ask yourself. So yeah, great, great final thought there. Thank you. Uh, thank you for appearing on the show. Thank you for sharing your story, your your wisdom, your learnings, and, and your continued work to uh, be vocal about ADHD. And uh, yeah, we are always looking for new guests to appear on the show. So if anyone, anyone listening would like to be involved, do reach out. As always, folks, don't stop believing. I like to leave on a journey quote. You've just listened to another episode of the Virtually Agile podcast. Don't forget to check out www.thevirtualagilecoach.co.uk for one of the largest collections of free templates on the web on all things Agile. If this show provided value, I'd love your support by following or subscribing on your platform of choice. See you folks next time.